For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Good morning, Zinger Nation. Welcome to Moon or Bust Flight 77, your home for all things altcoins and DeFi. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Markets are down, but I'm not scared. What about you, Logan? Uh, I'm a little bit scared, if we're going to be honest, but uh, I'm doing pretty well regardless. And now is looking like a pretty good time to uh, DCA, if that's your thing. Um, but what do we got going on on today's show? We got another banger of an episode for you guys. We'll be talking markets as always, looking at some NFTs, and then we'll be speaking to the co-founder and CEO of Unstoppable Domain. So if you guys have seen .crypto, .bitcoin, .wallet, that's all by Unstoppable Domains. And we'll be talking to the co-founder and CEO right around 2.30 today. Awesome. And we also have an NFT artist, photographer, friend of ours uh, coming on to talk about his new collection as well. Super cool piece. You do not want to miss it. Let's just get right into it. Alrighty, if you're new around here, we appreciate you tuning in. Uh, make sure you subscribe if you're not already. But if you're an OG, make sure to smash the like button. Let us know. I'm watching that like count. Uh, but let's just get right to the charts, Ryan. So here we got Bitcoin. You want to take it away? Yeah, I mean, we're approaching the previous bottom that we saw back in late September, early October, around forty dollars to $42,000. So I'm really hoping that this axis support. We're right at that range right now. Logan, I see you drew this line. I'm thinking that could be support as well. And we're right at it. So it could be a good opportunity to dollar cost average in, like you said earlier. Uh, but yeah, this like $42,000 range, right? Like 41.5 right now. So 40 to $42,000. That's what I'm keeping my eye on right now. It doesn't look like we have much resistance after that. My thoughts are, you know, maybe $35,000. We have a little bit. We spent some time over the summer, right around $35,000. And then the last case scenario I'm thinking is $30,000. That previous dip we had over the summer, we actually went down to about $29,000. So hopefully it doesn't get worse than that, guys. Maybe we'll double bottom out right around $30,000. That's when I will be buying. I haven't uh, bought much crypto this year but I will be buying. I bought back in the summer. I got some Ethereum right around seventeen dollars to $1,800. And if we get that opportunity again, I think it'll be a great opportunity to accumulate some more crypto while we're down, you know, more than 50% from all-time highs if we get down that low. Mm -hmm. Personally, though, I don't think we're going down that low. Logan, what do you think? Is this, is this support going to hold? All right. So you guys have been hearing a lot of crypto calls on, on all of our shows today, uh, but we probably have a little bit of a different one. So um, I think that I, I really, really hope that this level holds. I mean, we can see that we're kind of, uh, using it as resistance right now. We've, uh, we wicked below it three times so far, uh, and we've not closed below it. So hopefully this line will stick. If it doesn't, uh, it could be down to 30, um, 35, like you said, Ryan, and, and, and like, say that happens, right? Say we drop to 30 K. 
everyone's going to be saying the, the crypto bull run is over. Uh, crypto winter has began. We're not going to see 100K till 2025. Would you agree with that if we dropped to 30K? No, I think it would be bearish to drop to, 20, to 30K rather, but we've already been there before and we really have been traveling pretty flat over the past year for Bitcoin. So even if we do go down to 30K, I will be a little bit scared. I'll be honest, but I think that will hold as support and I think the bull market could continue. Now, if we don't hold 30K, I think that's a different story. If we go back down into the 20s, it might be a year. It might be a year and a half, two years before we re reclaim all-time highs. Uh, but I mean, all the fundamentals behind Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies right now are very strong. I, I still think 2022 is going to be a really good year. Now, we just need some time to chill out and let our NFTs ride. That's what I think. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. And it's interesting to see that when you draw the same line on Ethereum, we actually have some space from bouncing off that line. And, and if it was, uh, if I had to put one reason on why it's doing better than Bitcoin, I would say NFTs uh, and, and maybe a little bit of DeFi, but mostly NFTs right now. So uh, NFTs have been super, super duper hot lately. Um, Ryan, do you think that the, there's a correlation between the two, like I just mentioned? Yeah, I, I think there is. And I, I would say that Ethereum is probably doing pretty similar to Bitcoin in the grand scheme of things. We see that Ethereum dip down again at the same time as Bitcoin around late September to October. And we're at that price range yet again, right around $3,000. So I'm hoping mm -hmm. this price holds for Ethereum too, which would make sense. If Bitcoin holds and can start going back up, I think Ethereum will follow suit. That's what it typically does. Yeah, and, and the title of this show today is How to Profit While ETH Crashes, okay? So let's get into that. So when ETH is down, that means it's cheaper to get in uh, an NFT at the same ETH price uh, when you're pricing it in US dollars. I don't know if anybody still uses fiat currencies, um, but I like to think that it, it's pretty unavoidable to have uh, people pricing them in USD uh, at least for another 10 years. So um what do you think about the correlation between NFT prices and ETH prices, right? So, uh, it, you know, when you're using USD, the ETH price drops, the NFTs become cheaper in USD value, uh, but sometimes they become cheaper in ETH value as well. Sometimes they become more expensive in ETH value. Ryan, do you have any thoughts on uh, the general connection between the two? Yeah, it's really interesting, Logan. I think that while ETH stays flat, more people try and get into NFTs, get some exposure to the upside. But as Ethereum increases, more investors want to be exposed to Ethereum and, and see that upside there. Uh, so there definitely is some type of correlation. We're just seeing it. We saw it play out in 2021. Mm -hmm. The first time NFTs really started to get attention was in January oh, cool. of 2020 yeah. or 2021, rather. Um, and Ethereum was going up, right? Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was yeah, going more up or less, pretty yeah. Right. And like then 1500 and 2000. Right. Okay. So, I mean, it's pretty hard to tell whether there's a correlation or not. I think as Ethereum goes up, more people want to be exposed to Ethereum. I think that's a clear sign we saw in 2021. But as Ethereum goes down, it's really hard to tell the correlation between Ethereum and NFTs at this point. I think it depends on investor sentiment moving forward, whether they think that this is a dip in a buying opportunity for Ethereum or if they think, you know, maybe this is time to get into NFTs because Ethereum has dipped and it might stay flat for the next couple months. Mm -hmm. and, and it's good to note that this was after we went from 700 to 1400 in a couple of days, right? So people were interested in ETH. Once again, they saw the volatility. They saw that the action was coming on chain. Uh, and so the attention was on ETH, on the ETH ecosystem. Uh, but while the price was going sideways and while it was not doing a 2x in a week, 
uh, people were looking for that volatility elsewhere. And that's where they found it is in NFTs. So I predict that we could see a very, very similar situation. Um, say the ETH continues to consolidate for another month or two, I think this could be the, the big NFT bull run that people will be talking about for years. Uh, I mean, it was basically only insiders when it happened uh, just about a year ago from now. But I think we could see some crazy, crazy NFT action, more crazy than what we've already seen. And it, and it has been crazy in the past couple of weeks. So uh, it started with the Bored Ape Yacht Club flipping the CryptoPunks. The uh, floor price is now at 77 ETH. Mutants are up to 15.3. The mutants ran uh, just a couple days after the Bored Apes. Um, they give the same access to the club and the network, but they only cost a fraction of the price. I expect that to get a little bit closer to that uh, Bored Ape floor price number in, in the near future. Uh, but since then, since the Bored Apes ran, the Mutant Apes ran, it was kind of like how the volatility, we get the run on Bitcoin, we get the run on ETH, and then we get alt season. Right now it's NFT alt season. Uh, at least that's my take on it. And we've seen a bunch of projects pop. So we saw Alien Friends go crazy. We saw the Little Lemons go crazy. Uh, we saw the Heart Project go crazy. Um, all from like 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.3 ETH to almost 2 or 3 ETH depending on the project. So 10Xs um, on a bunch of these projects that we have been talking about. I mean, we brought up the Hearts Project before on the show and it was 0.1 floor price. That's a 10X uh profit and yeah i mean ryan what's your take do you think that there's a, an nft alt season is actually a real thing yeah i mean i think you bring up a really solid point and i think the blue chips come first and then these smaller projects kind of follow just like you said with bitcoin and then altcoins uh an interesting comment you made logan you said that you and ape yacht club may have more room to grow than board ape you said that the price might get closer to board ape yacht club mm -hmm. i don't think that it will match the price or get very close but i do agree there is more upside with the mutant apes than there are with board apes but how close do you think they can get in price because mutant apes are the second collection so it, it's not the first and mm -hmm. there's 10,000 board apes, whereas there's 20,000 mutant apes, so they're less rare. But like right. you said, you get access to the same club. I think a big mm -hmm. factor in determining the price of these mutants and these board apes is going to be the play to earn game coming out and what the financial incentive is for holding mm -hmm. a mutant versus holding a board ape, because I don't think they're going to be the same. I know that Yuga Labs has announced that both mutant apes and board apes will receive financial incentives by playing the play to earn game, whereas people who do not have these NFTs will not. Um, so I think that will be a big determining factor. You know, maybe if Mew and Apes can earn 50% of what Bored Apes earn, it might be close to 50% of the price of a Bored Ape. You know, they might turn into a financial instrument for this play to earn game, especially if the prices continue to rise, go up to $100,000, $150,000 for Mew and Apes. If that happens, you know, a lot of people will be looking at it as a financial instrument to play the play to earn game and make a passive income more so than just a collectible. So uh, I know that was a little bit long-winded, Logan, but where do you think mutant apes are going in comparison to board apes? So that's a, it's a great point that you brought up with the play-to-earn game and, and a way to distinguish different values between the two projects right now. Uh, so currently there's 30,000 apes uh, and they all get you access to the network. Now, 10,000 of those are the board apes, 20,000 of them are, are the mutant apes. So if the only value proposition is access to this club, uh, then I would expect the floor prices to be equal. Uh, however, we don't see that. Clearly, the board apes are more collectible. Um, this must just be the, the collector's personal tastes, personal opinions, uh, and, and the fact that the network 
the club is not ridiculously overpowered at this point. I mean, there are some events that you can go to. There's obviously large communities online that you can tap into. Um, but until it's a more common everyday occurrence, there's more frequent events going on, then the the network is uh, perhaps not the main driving factor of speculation. Perhaps it's uh, just mass adoption in general. That being said, when the board apes uh, and the mutant apes are distinguished by the game, maybe you can get more ape token by staking the board apes uh, than you can for the mutant apes. That would only make sense. Uh, at that point, there would be a greater incentive to buy the board apes, and that would be a, a definitive line in the sand as far as the value of each of these collections go. I think that we might see mutants reach half the floor price of board apes. What do you think? I think that's a fair guess. It really does depend on the financial incentives of the play-to-earn game. I would expect that Animoca brands will give Bored Apes a larger financial incentive. Like you said, it only makes sense because they are so much more expensive. Why you know, make a less return from a Bored Ape if you could be making more from a mutant um, in a play-to-earn game like that? But you know, they could really determine the price of these mutants by setting those financial returns through the play-to-earn game, which I think is really interesting. They might just look at the price of mutants and the price of board apes when the game releases or close to launch and say, you know, mutants are 25% of the value of board apes. Therefore, they should be earning 25% of what a board ape makes in the game. Um, but only time will tell. We'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... We saw Cole get kicked off the Pudgy Penguins team. The price went to 3 ETH after that. That was nuts. Um, let's see. What else has been going on? And Tiny Pie Media has a question in the chat. Okay. Do they not change the USD price as crypto fluctuates? So basically, all of these NFTs on OpenSea can be purchased with Ethereum. So the USD price will fluctuate with the price of Ethereum. Uh, but as Ethereum gets less expensive, then the value of the NFT is also getting less expensive. So people are incentivized to price higher in terms of ETH to make the USD value the same. Yep, great explanation. And then you could see here this price in USD will update uh, every so often. But OpenSea has been down for uh, quite a bit of time lately. So, um, you know, the, the opportunity for another platform, I think, is really interesting. Uh, and speaking of other NFT platforms, we're about to bring on a, a photographer, a good friend of ours, Ryan Drabuck. Uh, who is launching his own NFT collection, releasing his art for sale on uh, an NFT platform that, that is not OpenSea. And we're going to hear all about that from him uh, right now. So let me just stop my screen share. All right, cool. Ryan, welcome to Moon or Bust. How are you doing today? Hey, good. Thank you for having me on. How are you doing? Yeah, it's our pleasure. Great to, great to talk to you. I know it's been a a hot minute. We were uh, friends back in high school. I always loved your photography. You took some incredible pictures. Uh, and, and, you know, you were based in Detroit. Benzinga is based in Detroit. We got that huge connection. And, and I think you have some photos of Detroit to maybe share with us today. Um, but yeah, I'll just toss it over to you. I know you have something prepared. So take it away. Cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I just made up a quick slideshow uh, really fast here. Oh, man, it says I cannot share my screen. Hold on. I would just pull up my website, but it's under construction at the moment. Give me one second. Yeah, for sure. Take your time. And then you can also just like share the presentation with me if that works. Uh, let me just better. do that. Yeah. Let me, let me Whatever that. We, we need to do. Sorry. Yeah, I tried doing this before. Um, you brought me up and then it wouldn't let me. So. <laughs> All good. Uh, text me a good email. To... Yeah. Will do. Um, 
so Ryan, while we're while I'm getting this set up, do you want to just talk to us about your creative process, your your background, your history as an artist? Yeah, so you'll see in the slideshow as well, but uh, I kind of just put together like a evolution of where my work has started and where it went and where it's at now uh, and a little bit about why that happened. So uh, back when we would see each other a lot in high school, uh, I was really into city stuff in Detroit. Um, so I was going downtown Detroit like three or four times a week from where we were at and um, really just spending a lot of time down there shooting street photography and a lot of rooftop stuff as well. Um, here, I just sent you that slideshow now. All right, perfect. Um, so yeah, you'll see uh, kind of like the yeah. stuff I'm talking about. Here we go. Yeah, so I, I kind of just added dates uh, so you can kind of get an idea of like as the years go by. So I think this is my first time ever on like a real rooftop in Detroit. And this night really like changed my life and my perspective. And I was like, man, I'm going to be hitting every single roof in this city. And I was 16 years old. I was kind of just a dumb kid, really all about this like adrenaline rush and beautiful photography stuff. So this photo um, is incredible. There's the Benzinga office like right over here, too. Nice. OK. Yeah, I was Just trying to get an idea for you guys. Tell me when to go to the next slide. You can go on. You can move on. Okay. Um, and 2017 was really more of the same stuff. Um, Detroit was like our playground. I had a few friends who were doing this with me. These are both self-portraits that are up right now. Um, I was really just into trying to get... It was, it was like a video game almost, but in real life, every roof was like a new uh, mission and the photos were kind of just like a bonus that came on the side but i was still like all about the photos too um but yeah it was really just like you can move on again uh this year we also hit like the three biggest in detroit so it kind of felt like we in just a year's time we like finished our mission of like you know trying to do the biggest roofs in the city um that's from the Rensen, obviously. I believe the next slide, you'll see the second tallest in Detroit. Um, yeah, the Ally building. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Uh, you can keep moving on. And then this year, I also started to branch out into Chicago, uh, made some friends out there, and kind of just did the same thing over there as well. Um, I really only put in my rooftoping photos in this because I know you told me you're interested in that. So mm -hmm. um, that, that's not like all I did. If you move on to 2018. Um, so I, yeah, I kind of branched out to other cities as well. And this year I uh, went to New York City one time and more of just kind of the same thing, really hitting roofs, uh, living that lifestyle still and just adding to my photo collection of self-portraits and aerial photography. What percentage of roofs do you successfully get on? Uh, that's a good question. I'd say 25%. Wow. And like, and it also depends on like um, the amount of roofs that you try. Like we wouldn't try things that we knew we wouldn't get on like the mm -hmm. world trade center, for example, like you'd be, you'd be stupid to try that, you know? Um, but there's a lot of like, a lot of it is residential. I'd say you have the best bet with that with those kind of buildings. And then like mm. 
you'd kind of just assess like what type of building it is and what the security level is. And you wouldn't try stuff that you would figure you're going to go to jail for, you know? Mm-hmm. I remember so what high did you get on top of in New York city? Just out of curiosity. They were all, they were all like random residential buildings. Like I couldn't even tell you this was really close to the world trade center as you'll see. Um, but I kind of had some connections out there that took me around and were like pointing out the buildings that they thought I had a chance at. And uh, I was with my friend Harry as well. You guys both know him too. So good time out there. Yeah. But 2018 was a really big year for my photography because um, I really started to branch out away from the rooftoping stuff. And I just wanted to be as well-rounded as I could. So my portfolio, these are all street photographs I took in downtown Detroit um, in that year. And I don't know, I might've put a nature shot in this as well for 2018. Oh, this was a uh, house fire in Detroit. We just passed it. Uh, we were headed downtown one day and we saw a big uh, plume of smoke off the highway and we just kind of followed the smoke to the house. Mm. But this year really forced me out of my comfort zone of just rooftop photography. Uh, it was also the year I graduated high school and then went to school in Chicago. So uh, this was taken that fall. I was kind of making connections in Chicago and trying to work with anyone that I could really. And that's just like a example of nature photography. <laughs> that's um, crazy. Yeah, this was really the first time I did a conceptual image. Um, and it was really exciting for me because I, I, I always felt like there was something out there that I wasn't, you know, hitting uh, with rooftops. It was just kind of like hitting locations and shooting the location. But with conceptual stuff it's like just taking the ideas in your head and like really making something beautiful out of it so this was the first time I really did that and uh it changed how I wanted to move forward in the future Hmm. and then kind of ended the year uh on a really high note in 2018 uh on this roof in Chicago above the fog Uh, in a way it's kind of symbolic when you move on to the next slide and you'll find out why So then I started 2019 off um, with a friend in Detroit, again, doing the same thing we were always doing, uh, hitting roofs and kind of just being reckless kids, uh, irresponsible and whatnot. And so there was a night, uh, one of the first nights of 2019, and my friend and I were downtown and I got really injured. Uh, I probably should have lost my life just... uh, being reckless and I fell pretty far ways and I don't remember any of that because I had like a traumatic brain injury. So it forced me to really take a step back from this whole rooftop lifestyle and everything. I don't think I've really shared this story on social media, but yeah, it was like a really big life changing event that really like kind of woke me up and was telling me like, you can't keep living like this. You got to change something. So I can move on to the next slide. You'll see. Um, I guess the start of 2019 was that event and then me relearning what I wanted to do in photography and kind of why I was in the space at all. Why, why do I do this? What do I love about it? And where do I want to take it? So I was exploring all these random concepts and this photo series I did when I was really like recovering from a brain injury, which is a crazy process. Uh, it's, it's super weird. Um, I was recovering from a brain injury and this is like the first thing that I did. I just grabbed a yellow jacket out of my dad's closet and just kept making these images with the same yellow jacket with friends, my girlfriend and 
uh, we went all around and just kind of made this photo series. And then, um, yeah, it kind of helped me get back into the world. So cool. This is more of me kind of just um, exploring my conceptual abilities, um, figuring out kind of where I can take photography and just having fun with it. And so see with that, that pipe photograph, like that was just kind of a silly idea that I had that worked out. Mm -hmm. uh, I also did like a, a series on shadows too. I just included this one example, but yeah, I hope to re revisit that concept in the future as well. And then 2020, uh, you know, we all saw the world shut down for a bit. So uh, starting the year out was a bit weird. Um, I was in Chicago originally when the city shut down. I was hanging out in like this tiny apartment of mine. And then uh, my dad was like, no, nah, you're coming back home. And I was like, okay, I'm coming back home. He kind of like forced me to come back. So we were in this empty house that he was moving out of for two weeks there and I wasn't really allowed to go anywhere. I wasn't really able to see anyone else. So uh, I made this like kind of stop motion uh, conceptual animation out of some photos I took in my old bedroom. And um, this year was another really big year for my photography because uh, this band called Small Black picked up on my work on Instagram and they really uh, were interested in working with me. So then uh, we did this whole stop motion music video. I, I couldn't put that in the slideshow, mm -hmm. but this is just a part of that, basically. You can Very move cool. on. This is like some of the examples of where the work went. And then uh, this is kind of where I'm at now. So I spent a lot of 2021 not knowing where to take my work. Uh, I was creatively uninspired by my surroundings. So then I discovered how to build kind of miniature models and make them look like real spaces. If I can't, you know, create my own real life size spaces, I gotta do it a way that I can afford to do it. So um, if you keep clicking through the photos, uh, these are all pieces from my uh, first collection of NFTs. Uh, they're on the website foundation because I believe that's a good platform to have kind of like really lower lower quantity of pieces with higher pricing for photography. And you have to be invited to foundation or is it open? Yep. So it's invite by artist. So I think each artist that makes a sale gets three invites to send out to other artists. So hmm. I really like the curation of that. Um, it, you know, it, it makes it more refined for, I don't want to say like higher quality work, but that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, mm -hmm people who are going to be invited to the platform are really about what they're doing, you know? So that's why I took this uh, project to that site. This one I think might be my favorite. It's hard to pick though. They're all so cool. So how big are these sets actually? Uh, they're honestly about the size of my desktop. So oh. I'd say three feet by two feet. How long does it take you to construct one like this? This one's funny because this is my my favorite as well, but this one only took me like four hours. I got it right on the first try, but uh, most of these other ones took me two or three or four days working like on and off uh, with the construction process as well as the editing process um, because I'm using, you know, uh, cheaper materials to build these things, like really basic materials. So 
the details can't all be perfect every time. Um, so there's a lot of refining that goes into the edges. Um, and that's what takes a lot of time as well. So Ryan, what part of these are physical and what part is digital and added on after? Because I mean, the whole thing almost looks digital when you're just seeing it on the screen. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, so it's all physical and really the only thing that's digitally added is like the edges. So in this circle here, um, the circle was there. I cut that circle out, but it's cut out of foam core, which is essentially poster board. Uh, just like plain white poster board with, it's about a quarter inch thick. Um, it doesn't let light through, but it's, it's like dual sided with paper. So it's hard to get a perfectly clean cut. And so to refine the edges of the circle, I'm essentially just taking uh, a chunk of pixels above where I cut and dragging it down to create the smooth edged circle and uh, lines. But everything there is there in the photos and really the magic is coming out through the lighting. So this photograph was lit with three different sources. I think I lit the foreground with my flashlight on my phone. Um, the middle layer was uh, like a headlight that you use for hiking with like a beam that I shot from across the room and the sun looking thing as the back layer. It's like my lamp with a orange color gel bouncing off the wall. You really got scrappy with these. I mean, it's so cool to see what you can come up with uh, just being resourceful. You don't need this huge budget uh, like many people expect. It's, it's honestly inspiring. Thank you. Yeah, that's my favorite part about this project is really taking uh, very little and making a lot out of it. What's the title of the project? So the title of the collection is A Place to Call My Own. Um, and I'm releasing it in small volumes. So my first volume, uh, volume one is a total of six pieces. I think I only included five different pieces on this slideshow, but um, yeah, those are the last two slides, just the screenshots of foundation. Yeah, but uh, my plan for moving forward with this is just working on it when I can, uh, when I'm not working my other job and trying to make images and add to volume two. I've already finished the first piece of volume two, which is exciting. And then um, I'm kind of using this project as a, my first stepping stool into the NFT space. So I'm relying on selling uh, this collection out so that I can afford to like put out volume two, as well as um, that project that you just kind of pulled up. Mm -hmm. It's like a, a little teaser for this, but this is going to be um, my next big release. Uh, I'm planning to do this one on OpenSea probably because it's going to be like a larger quantity project. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's going to be close to like a generative project, but it's going to be photography and each piece is going to be unique and um, tell its own story. So I'm really excited to put that one out there in the world as well. Yeah, this is awesome. I mean, you, you must have a couple thousand of these uh, to release in the collection. Each one's completely unique. And it's like, it's not generated by a computer. It's just generated by, uh, you know, the day that the photo was taken on. I think that's so cool. And I, I've never seen anything like that uh, in the NFT space thus far. Maybe besides like Damien Hurst, like the, the currency project, which is a, 
great name to be on the list with. Ryan, uh, as soon as these NFT art collectors start to hear about your work and start to see what you've done, uh, I, I think it's going to, to go off. Uh, it's going to be sold like ridiculously quickly. Um, I mean, you have made quite the name for yourself in the photography space already, but branching into the NFT space, I think, is, is an awesome next step for you. Uh, and I'm so excited to, to see where it goes. We really appreciate you uh, coming on to talk with us about it today, giving the exclusive uh, to us here at Benzinga. Um, Ryan, do you have anything else you want to leave the audience with? You should probably drop your IG too. Yeah, I think I put it on some of the first slides. It's just, uh, yeah, you can probably click back to some of the first slides, but it's, okay. yeah, it'll be up on right here. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but no, thank you so much for having me up here. I really appreciate it. And, um, I'm excited moving forward in the future as well. Um, uh, I'll talk to you soon, Logan. I appreciate having me on here. Yeah, for sure. And we'll drop a link to the collection in the chat down below so you can go uh, gaze at them in, in awe, maybe share them with your friends or pick one up yourself. Um, but Ryan, great talking to you. We'll see you soon. All righty. Next up, back-to-back -back interviews on today's show. Banger after banger. That's not the right, right one. I got to take my screen share off. Um, Ryan, what do you think about that that collection from Dre? That was awesome, man. We've known Ryan for so long. He's an extremely talented dude. So I'm so happy to see him in the NFT space now. It's a perfect fit for him. Yeah, couldn't agree more. All right, next up, Unstoppable Domains. You might have heard of it. Dot crypto, uh, dot wallet, dot DAO. All these uh, uh, domain names are created by Unstoppable Domains. We have the CEO, Matthew Gold here with us today to give us the inside scoop. What's going on in the project right now? What do we have to look forward to? Matthew, welcome. Oh man, happy to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. The pleasure Thanks is all on. ours. All right, let's just get right into it, Matthew. If you want to give us a little bit of background on, on your venture uh, through the internet space into the crypto space and, and um, you know your work with Unstoppable Domains, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so uh, I've been in crypto since 2012-2013. Uh, I was out in Silicon Valley working for another uh, tech startup that went through YC, one of the first five employees there. Uh, and we helped grow that company from five to 50 people. And we were really focused on MarTech. But I was spending all my nights and weekends on crypto. So if you were in Silicon Valley back in 2013, everyone was talking about Bitcoin. Uh, and that's what people were doing on the weekends. And as a developer, I just uh, immediately uh, fell in love with the tech. <laughs> a lot of people ask me like, oh, what convinced you to get off the fence uh, with blockchain technology? I was one of those people that was like a duck in water. I was like, this is <laughs> this is awesome. I can't believe that this is here. We've been waiting for this since we had the internet. Um, and I, I dove head I dove head first. One of the things that's maybe interesting about my story is I was always interested in non-financial use cases of uh, blockchain and Bitcoin. And so from the very beginning, I was working on applications with friends to do like non-financial things. And one of the first things we started doing was working on reviews um, and, and ways to establish reputation in, you know, on these public blockchain systems uh, back on Bitcoin. And uh, what happened is we just saw a lot of tech evolution over the past decade. I got really excited when Ethereum came out uh, and they had generalized smart contract blockchains. And, uh, and then I fell in love with naming services. That was like my the next thing that I wanted to work on because uh, it is a really great way for people to build up 
uh, their like their digital ID, like who they are online, and then have something that's portable across all of those different apps. So uh, started Unstoppable Domains, officially founded January 2018, but we were actually working on the project back in 2017. This is before NFTs were called NFTs. They were still like ERC-20 tokens and, um, you know, or ERC-721s. And then eventually they started being called NFTs. Uh, at that, And we were one of the first groups of people, actually Ryan on our team at a hackathon, made the very first domain name uh, an NFT on uh, the Ethereum blockchain. So we've been in we've been in the NFT since the very beginning. I remember meeting a lot of the early people, like the guys from Nifty Gateway. They were in our Boost VC tribe. Um, Devin Fenster at OpenSea when OpenSea was a much smaller place. And it was just all of us. All of us like there's only like 30 people who were very excited about this back in the beginning. And here we are four years later. It's just been an absolute explosion over those past four years. So um, the journey has been fast uh, and very exciting. And but honestly, I think we're still at the beginning. There's like 200,000 to a million people are actually like interacting with NFTs on chain right now. And, you know, when you look out, you've got 3 billion people on the planet with a cell phone. So it's still very early in the journey, but uh, very optimistic. Logan, I think you're muted. Can't hear you. Nice Matthew, that was, a, oh, go ahead, Logan. Yeah, I, was just, I just said incredible story. Um, thank you for sharing it with us. Uh, I have some unstoppable domains personally, but for, for our audience out there who might not have even heard of it before, could you give us a high level overview? Yeah, so uh, NFT domain names are uh, domains that are registered on a public blockchain and inside of a suite of smart contracts. And what most people use them for is like signaling on some of their favorite social apps like Twitter. You'll see people change their names to be like Matt.crypto or Sandy.nft or something like that. And it's also used for sending and receiving crypto payments. Uh, I think it's one of the worst things about crypto is the first thing you do is you buy some cryptocurrency. And then the second thing you do is you try to send it to somebody and then you you have this really large like hex address that looks like a bank account number. And then every single different type of cryptocurrency has a different one of those addresses. And so this is one of the first things that people use NFT domains for was, hey, is there a way where I can have a simple name like Matt.crypto and then I can use that to send Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, you know, Dogecoin, all these different coins to a single address. So that was the first use case. Uh, for NFT domains. And I like to tell people they're like traditional domains, like .com domains, except they have superpowers. And, uh, you know, they can, yes, it's true. NFT domains can host websites. Um, you can send email to NFT domain names if you use special services to do that. Um, and, but the cool parts is really everything that has to do around like sending and receiving cryptocurrency, making that significantly easier, or even using it as your identity, um, using something like login, uh, with an NFT domain or uh, SSO. So uh, we've registered uh, 2 million. We just crossed the 2 million mark our registrations for NFT domains um, at Unstoppable. And uh, that's like, that's uh, close to, I think that's close to 10x year over year growth in terms of a number of registrations. Uh, we expect to see that same growth going forward over the next several years. Um, long term, I think all 3 billion people on the planet are going to end up having an NFT domain because. You know, it's something that you can say, you know, like my name's Matt.crypto. I can say that you can go look it up and then you're able to send cryptocurrency to that address. You can also see a bunch of information that I store about myself, like um, my Twitter profile or my Reddit user tag, if I have that saved up there. Um, and I think that's like, it's the beginning of your portal, portable digital identity. So without getting too abstract, just think like, you know, .com domains with superpowers, really useful for sending and receiving cryptocurrency and just now starting to be used for identity online. That's great. So a big part of the usability and the value that these domains provide uh, is where they're accepted and how you can use them. 
Um, so could you maybe talk about the, the Wallet Alliance partnership, uh, the difference between top level domains and the domains you guys are creating and where you see that going? Yeah, so back in October, we announced an alliance with 30 plus wallets to have uh, integrations so that they will all be able to read um, our NFT domains for sending and receiving cryptocurrency. And this includes some of the largest players in the space, like blockchain.com. Um, and we're doing the best that we can to get out and do as many applications as, as we can. We recently crossed over 100 uh, integrations just this past, uh, past couple of weeks. And uh, honestly, we're we think we're going to very soon be into the thousands, if not tens of thousands over the next several years, um, because this is going to be a way for people to kind of represent that they are crypto native or Web3 when they are um, interacting with even uh, normal apps on the space. So, yeah, super important. We have a full team that's dedicated to trying to make sure that everyone can learn how to uh, read uh, blockchain NFT domains. And, uh, you know, obviously we're investing in APIs and, and libraries and all these other things to make it easier to start building. We have a Discord. So if anybody listening to this is a developer, please go in there. You can uh, learn how to easily integrate with your application. Um, we'd love to show you some of the advantages that you can get. Uh, and it's absolutely free, like for apps. Like there's no charge for you to come in there and read this data off um, and get integrated. And if anything, we can help you market uh, to our users, of which we have several hundred thousand um, that are very excited to use your services if your services interact with uh, our domains. So Matthew, what kind of support does Unstoppable Domains have? Can I just type in an Unstoppable Domain, say to MetaMask and Coinbase? I mean, what about other big platforms? Yeah, so uh, MetaMask, no, unfortunately. So please reach out to MetaMask if you're out there in the crowd. Let them know you'd love to see Unstoppable Domains on their platform. Uh, we've been waiting on MetaMask Snaps. That's something that they've been working on for the past uh, 12 plus months. That's how they are intending to integrate with uh, third-party applications that build on top of MetaMask. Um, and uh, Coinbase, uh, we are in their uh, self-custody wallet. We had the very first exchange, OKCoin, actually support unstoppable domains. Um, you can imagine exchanges are very concerned about security for their users when sending and receiving. So it's still very early in the market for all this adoption. But mm -hmm. honestly, like we need to push harder in the crypto space to get these services to adopt uh, naming because like your friends, your family, um, your parents are not going to be using uh, hex addresses for sending and receiving crypto. I mean, it's just, you know, if we're going to have 3 billion people on the planet sending and receiving crypto, I'm I'm very convinced that they're going to be sending it to a name and not to a hex address. Yeah, I completely agree. And in regards to competition for domain services, could you speak a little bit on the differences between Unstoppable Domains and the Ethereum name service? Yeah, so both Unstoppable Domains and the Ethereum name service have been around for the past four years. I think the ENS, uh, ENS domains, like the company that built that system, um, was also registered in 2018, just a few months after Unstoppable Domains was. So uh, they are OGs in the space along with us. Um, I think we are the first two systems to use NFTs uh, for to, to represent domains in general. Um, and we've been very, in the past, we actually worked very closely with them. Uh, Braden and I were, were even in their 2018 uh, hackathon. We were some of the mentors back at that original project. So we have very similar DNA from the start. Uh, I would say the difference today is kind of like the difference between Coinbase and Uniswap. So you'll notice that you typically have a crypto native platform in any given vertical, like you'll have BlockFi, Aave, you'll have uh, Coinbase, and you'll have Uniswap. In the namespace, you have unstoppable domains, which is uh, and then which is which is a more traditional uh, structure, and then you have ENS, which is more like crypto native. And if you look at the people who are using it, I think that's also the case. So if uh, if you look at uh, the numbers, for instance, we have 
uh, more registered customers, more registered domain names. Um, and we also are focused on like cheaper fees. And if you look at some of the ENS names, they'll be, you know, extremely expensive, uh, like kind of like a crypto funk in some cases. I, I don't know the most expensive ENS domain, but there have been some out there that have sold for those prices. Um, and it's kind of catering to a different audience. So Ensemble Domains is attempting to go broad and wide. Uh, I think Coinbase has 74 million users, right? And Uniswap has like 740,000. So it's, I think that we're just going to be the two standard bearers. Uh, I think there's room in the space for both of us. And a lot of our users, I know this for a fact, have both their Ensemble domain and their uh, ENS domain name. So they end up uh, picking up one. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think both are going to be here long term. And uh, I think another interesting thing to point out here is um, like Ensemble Domains is traditional, like we're intending to uh, stay a company, we're intending to IPO um, in the next couple of years, and really we're going to push hard into getting integrations to Web2 companies, right? Like, so like we're going to try to interface with the more traditional industries. Um, ENS recently launched a token uh, for previous owners of ENS domain names. They have a DAO structure. Um, they have votes uh, a couple times a month, I think, and they're, they're very... Uh, focused in on that uh, crypto community. I think that's good for people to be perfectly honest. Like um, I have, I was a very early ENS adopter. So I have my own stack of ENS uh, tokens sitting out there on one of my wallets. Uh, and I think that's great to watch and innovate from both of them. We've also uh, stolen a, a bunch of ideas from each other, which I think is funny if you look at it through time. So, uh, you know, Ensemble Domains, we went to their hackathon. We were the first people to make domains nfts and we actually did that with ens uh and then uh Sample domains was the first company to allow multi-currencies so you could send bitcoin litecoin and ethereum mm -hmm. all to the same name then ens adopted that uh ens was the first or they were yeah i think they were the first on attaching profile pictures to domain names like attaching crypto mm -hmm. punks and so we copied that off of them this year so this kind of Look, competition can be good, uh, and sometimes it gets a little spicy. So if you follow me on Twitter, at Matthew E. Gould, sometimes you'll see us go back and forth, although we try not to do that uh, so much because the community has actually yelled at both sides, like, hey, guys, quit fighting, like, just build stuff. Uh, and so we try to stay out of it. It really is kind of like a sushi swap, uniswap drama sometimes, but um, hopefully we don't get too hard. I try, man. You know, like, I get my feelings sometimes. You can't help it. Twitter, man. Twitter is just so good that I'll yeah. That's just Twitter for you. But that was a really good comparison. I think it brought a lot of color to that competition. Mm -hmm. uh, you said it really well. You guys have a lot of different domains to choose from, though. So you can get like a .crypto domain, a .coin, .wallet, I believe .nft as well, and maybe even a couple others. If I'm new to crypto, how do I, how do I choose between these? Is there different benefits to having like a, a different domain name? Yeah, well, I think it's a lot of signaling, right? And you're kind of choosing what community you want to be involved in. And this is one of the things that we did early um, that we noticed, right? So a lot of people are getting .eth. They're like, maybe they're actually really big fans of a different cryptocurrency, right? And so they wanted to represent. So we we tried to choose something that was much more generic uh, so that uh, people could like represent a different part of the industry. I think .nft is a very good one because you have NFTs on Solana, on Tezos, on Ethereum, like and you're going to have them basically on every blockchain. So if you think that the world is going to be multi-blockchain in the future, which I do, then uh, that's kind of where we're going. And if you look at, uh, you know, .eth, they really are very strongly focused on the Ethereum community. Um, and they believe that Ethereum is going to be uh, the one blockchain to rule them all. Uh, and, you know, that's everyone's uh, entitled to their opinion. But I remember back 10 years ago, there was one blockchain. It was Bitcoin. And now we have 10,000. And if I'm betting going forward, I don't think we're going to go back to one. I think we're going to go to a million. I think it's much more likely there's a million blockchains in, in five to 10 years than that there's one. Um, and that's so generics. And if you're trying to decide uh, which one, um, I would say like 
there's a couple tricks here. So if you add a number to your name, and this is kind of hidden Easter egg, but if you put a number in your name, you actually get an 80% discount. Uh, I think that's or 75%. So if you if you try to register, you know, Logan, um, that'll probably be a premium domain name. But if you try to, you know, uh, Logan Ross um, 99 or 69 or whatever it is you want to do, uh, then it would be significantly cheaper. So that may be a way for you to pick up a couple of different extensions instead of just being locked into any one. Um, and then I guess one other thing that may not be obvious, Ryan, is you'll see that like dot blockchain, for instance, is for blockchain.com. Um, and that's coming out soon. That's another thing that we do that's a little bit different than the competitors is we have this ability to white label for their particular um, subgroup, right? So like when we're talking about onboarding 3 billion people, everyone looks at me like, how are you gonna get 3 billion people to use NFT domains? And I would just push back like, what if we launch a dot PayPal, right? I think that would probably be a really good way to help onboard like a hundred plus million people overnight to crypto. And that's really what I wanna do as someone who's been in this space for 10 years, I'm uh, impatient and I wanna see that happen a lot quicker. So that's kind of what we're focused on. So we have the general TLDs, it's kind of for everybody, pick your flavor. Uh, and then we all are, are working with some web two companies to try to um, make things that may be more appealing directly to their users to get to get people on board. And honestly, I don't think you can go wrong with any of the extensions. I think all of them are better than what you're gonna get with a .com uh, or a traditional DNS name, but I am extremely biased. <laughs> That's funny. So the thing you said about uh, you don't think it's going to go back to one blockchain to rule them all. Um, but right now, all of these NFTs are issued on one blockchain. That is Ethereum and then also Polygon now, right? Um, which we could talk about in a second. Uh, is, the, is this going to change in the future? I'm curious to know, really, uh, my question is why you uh, decided to opt for like the Web2 sign-in versus sign-in with a private key. Uh, so if you look at our sign, it's actually signing with a uh, NFT. So it's still a Web3 sign in. So if you look at it, it's login with your NFT domain name. The difference is instead of using a private public key, which can't be moved, right? For instance, if you have your ID tied to your private key, if you need to move it for whatever reason, um, you're stuck because the private key is there. But we actually put it on an NFT, which is still a... Uh, which is still a you know crypto native asset that lives in your wallet. But this way you can actually transfer it to a different uh, cryptocurrency address. So I'd actually push back there and I would say that like, you know, it's an NFT uh, based login. So it's still a web three login. Um, and then the, what's cool is you can tie uh, private information back to that if you want to. So I think it's the best of both worlds. You can tie a traditional, um, you can tie a traditional SSO server or service back to an NFT domain name. You have full agency and control over what data you share, uh, but you still have the ability to share offline data that may be really large. For instance, like if you want to share a healthcare record, which is not happening today, but could happen in a couple of years, um, and you have like imaging or something, those could be gigabyte size files. Um, that's not going to be something you want to store on a main chain like Ethereum because it would mm -hmm. be, be too big, I think. Yeah, I appreciate that clarification. And, um, that, that also brings up the point of Polygon and scaling in general. So uh, I have a couple that I haven't claimed yet just because of the gas fees. Uh, and when I went on the website again this morning, I saw I could now claim them on Polygon uh, for, for free, right? Um, what are the trade-offs, if any, to claiming it on Polygon versus the mainnet? Yeah, so uh, this is this is kind of so Polygon's new for us. We actually just launched this in November, and what happened was is fees on Ethereum just went to fifty dollars a piece uh, for registering a domain name, and then on the worst case, you know, when the gas spikes, it was a couple hundred dollars. So people couldn't use their domains, and obviously that's critical for us. So um, we really wanted to focus on utility and usage. We looked around for a lot of different solutions on how you could do scaling, and if you think about the big ones um, for your audience, um, they may have heard of rollups and, and all the different 
ways that those could be used. We want something that's production ready today. We went with Polygon. They work, they're very friendly with the Ethereum uh, developer community. They're very focused on like long-term scaling solutions that we think are going to be useful like ZK rollups. And it's honestly a really good stopgap. It's a good place to be for the next 24 months while we're waiting for the technology to get better to allow uh, much higher levels of scaling on base chains. Um, like Ethereum. If we want to roll forward a little bit, because we kind of alluded to this earlier, it's like, uh, you know, is there going to be one blockchain to rule them all or not? Well, I think for sure you're going to have a bunch of L2 chains for base chains like ETH. And I also think that people are going to want to create assets natively on those L2s. What do I mean is like, they're going to want to create their things on the L2 to start with instead of the L1 to avoid those $100 fees. And then if you want to publish out to the L1, that's mm -hmm. totally fine if you want to pay that $100 at a, at a future place. But I do think that you know these, these L2 blockchains like Polygon or whatever are going to... Uh, more and more users are actually going to start there. Uh, and there's been some interesting mm -hmm. looks at that too. And I just think that's that's part of it uh, for connecting these together. You know, it's a multi-chain bridges world. Um, although there's a lot of debate in this space exactly mm -hmm. how that's going to, like Vitalik had a post this weekend. I don't know if you're paying attention, uh, if you saw his post, but like it's definitely an active area of conversations. We're an app, right? So like uh, we're at the mercy of gas prices right now. So we had to do something. We went with what we thought was like the best in class solution for right now to solve our problems mm -hmm. for the next two years. Um, and then we'll migrate again. This is our third migration, right? Uh, so if you look at our history, we actually started on Zilliqa. So we went from Zilliqa to Ethereum and now we're on Polygon. So we've already supported three blockchains. And this is another thing about us. Like we're very much like building blockchain domain systems. Um, you know, I'm in it for the tech, like no matter what tech we got to use the base layer, we want to use the best we can so we can get uh, cheap transactions for uh, for users. That's ultimately the goal. Interesting. So I used your native website builder to to launch a page onto the IBFS um, and I went to update it today and it said that there was like a high gas fee warning. Do I need to process anything on chain to update the IPFS instance? Isn't it the same pointing to the same location on IPFS? Uh, so IPFS is addressed by content. And so what really sucks about that is uh, if the if it the content gets updated at all, like you literally just change like mm -hmm. the mis a misspelling on a word, then the file looks completely different to IPFS. And mm -hmm. so it's a completely different, and that's just the way that their storage protocol works. One of the very many quirks about um, decentralized storage systems right now. And I would say if I was looking at the stack, I think decentralized storage is probably the part of the stack that's weakest right now for uh, Web3. Mm -hmm. um, and it's probably several years behind, to be honest. So yeah, I, it sucks. I mean, I don't know what to tell you about that. Like, but Is yes, that solved by Polygon? Uh, no, that that is has that's completely related to the um, IPFS uh, Filecoin storage protocol itself. Okay, so the gas fees for for IPFS, not ETH mainnet or you know Polygon. So what happened is is when you make an update to your website, it changes where that uh, website is stored on IPFS. Oh, so, so then you need to update the token where it's pointing to. Gotcha. Correct. Yeah, right. that's exactly right. Yeah, sorry about that. No, no worries. Thanks for the clarification. So Matthew, how are unstoppable domain names secured and what type of precautions are you making or putting in place to make sure that say my Bitcoin wallet with .coin uh, doesn't get switched out on the back end and point to a different wallet? So once you claim the domain name to your wallet, uh, you're the one who's in control of all the updates for where that name points to. So it would, it's just like having your private keys stolen. 
but Ryan, you bring okay. up a really you bring you bring up a really good point here, which is like for a lot of people, it's complex to manage and hold on to those uh, private keys, and then like to understand how that works. So um, we are working with a couple other people as well to try to uh, make it much easier to back up and recover your domain name. You already have social recovery on a couple of other really big wallets in the space. I think Argent or Rainbow does. I can't remember which one. Yeah, they do it by social recovery. Yeah, they do it. They do it by default. And I think that we're going to need to introduce social recovery for things like NFT domains uh, as well. So that if you lose your key or whatever, you can have two of your friends back your domain up so that we're that's a little bit of uh, alpha on what's on our product roadmap for H2 of this mm -hmm. year. Um, and that stuff is hard. And I feel so bad for people uh, honestly trying to use this tech today. It feels like using the Internet. Uh, very, very early, like on Usenet forums, um, when it was very, you know, text-based, not very good. Uh, and that's where we're at right now. So, I mean, like your intuition there, Ryan, like the interaction is not great. Um, but if you know how to use MetaMask and you're comfortable backing up your MetaMask wallet, it's that same experience uh, with managing your NFT domain. Very cool. There's not much you can do about the early tech right now. You just have to <laughs> sit back and wait, essentially, and build. Correct. Yeah. And look, there's a lot of smart people building. So I think we do have that in our favor. Uh, and we're very fortunate that like, I mean, some of the some of the biggest gigabrains in the space are working on, the, you know, the important things in blockchain, like how do we fit more transactions onto a, uh, a given block? And how can we back up and secure things a little bit better? So uh, I'm pretty excited about the next couple of years in that space. So not going to be fixed in the next three months, though. <laughs> American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Brian, you want to talk about the browser, uh, or should we ask? Yeah, we only have a few more minutes, so yeah, let's get to the browser. Uh, Matthew, you guys are working on a decentralized browser. It's already up and running. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Can you tell us a little bit about the Unstoppable browser? Yeah, so uh, that was actually an open source project that we did and we published for the community. We thought it was important for people to have a way to uh, traverse these decentralized websites. Um, and that was you know, something that a piece of software that we could get behind. So we wrote a we wrote a version of that. We put it up on GitHub. It is MIT licensed. Uh, we encourage other people to take it. We've actually had several people take our code, uh, replicate it, and build their own like many versions of browsers. There's been an explosion in alternative browsers uh, for hardcore devs in the past year or two. It used to be like there are only, I mean, there's like six major browsers, and there are only maybe 50 other smaller ones. And now there's a couple hundred. Um, mm. So I think a lot of people are kind of exploring this. One thing I'll point about the Unsoftable browser, which is interesting, is like we completely eliminated all tracking on the browser, which is mm. uh, pretty funny because like if you try to use a traditional website, if you use our browser and you try to go to a traditional website, like there are no cookies. Like there's literally, there's nothing in like, you know, when you use your browser, most people don't realize it, but that browser has a lot of technology in there for tracking you. When you're mm. using Chrome, like they built a lot of stuff so that it's easier for the websites to track you. Mm. Uh, and we just ripped all that out. So um, it's a pretty funky experience for, for, uh, for surfing the traditional internet. But if you go into web three, 
you won't notice anything because Web3 apps like Uniswap, for instance, they don't have a backend. Um, and so, since they don't have a backend, they don't have any need for cookies. So um, it has no impact on uh, Web3 experiences um, from what we've been able to tell. So uh, yeah, it's, it's out there. Uh, pretty funny, interesting thing about our browser. Uh, do you have a guess, Ryan, on where the most downloads are for our browser? It's anywhere in the world. No, do you have a guess the at all? US, take... The US? No, Taiwan. China. Really, Taiwan. Yeah. yeah, Taiwan, which is which is a uh, it's a little bit a little bit uh interesting from mine's perspective. So I think I'm probably gonna stay out of uh stay out <laughs> stay out of the, the airspace over there for a little while. But I thought it was like our number it's like it was so funny. We're like we watched this browser and we're like, why are tens why why are ten thousand plus people downloading this from Taiwan? Um I think there's you can tell where on the planet people are really concerned about censorship, right? And they immediately go um for this tech. And so that's what that's what we saw. Yeah. And just um there are a couple companies right now inside the crypto space who are well known, who are using our browser right now in some of their uh, projects and development. And I'm hoping they'll have some announcements here in the first half of this year. So I would be super proud if some of the work that we did two, three years ago, trying to make an open source Web3 browser was uh, refactored and, and kind of put out in some of these new attempts. Um, I would be very proud to see that happen. I'm hoping that happens in the, in the next six months or so. What do you think happens first? Last question, we're almost out of time. What do you think happens first? The major browsers uh, let you type unstoppable domains in natively or the major exchanges let you type them in natively? Mm, okay, uh, so on the browsers side, I think actually what's gonna happen is the major DNS servers um, allow you to resolve uh, mm -hmm. NFT domains first. And then on the exchange side, uh, that's a tough call. Uh, I think browsers are going to take longer. They're on like a five-year cycle, whereas these crypto exchanges are closer to a two to three-year cycle. And we already saw some the first exchange adopt it. Uh, so I think I would go with exchanges. So I think it's going to be like DNS providers and exchanges maybe in the next year or two. And then uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little bit longer for the browsers. I have one exception to this. If you see a Chrome crypto wallet, uh, or a Mozilla crypto wallet, which is rumored. I'm not even joking. Like there was a rumor going around Mozilla that they were interested in, in putting a crypto wallet inside the browser. If that happens, all bets are off because as soon as they have a as soon as they have a crypto wallet, right, then then they know how to read the blockchain inside the browser, and it would be, I think, significantly quicker to get there. So uh, we'll see. DeFi the DeFi degenerates may help the DeWeb get adopted like three years faster. Is what I'm trying to get to. <laughs> we can only hope. And yeah, Matthew, exactly. thank you so much for your time today. I want to give you one last chance. If you have any shout outs you want to give, tell the people where to connect with you, what's coming up next, any random thoughts, the floor is yours. Uh, man, appreciate you guys having us on here. Uh, please check us out at Unstoppable Web on Twitter and then also unstoppabledomains.com. Uh, give us a follow uh, and a like and uh, do a search for a domain name. I'm sure we'll find something. Get in there and experiment. That's what I tell everyone. Just you know, try some things uh, and get used to playing with this technology. This is the future. Uh, and those who are early will be rewarded. Thank you, guys. Yes, indeed. Thank you. All right. You heard the man. Smash the like button. That is all we have for today's episode. Uh, Ryan, what'd you think? You got any closing thoughts for us? You know, a great interview as always. Really, really smart guy. Uh, closing thoughts, closing thoughts, huh? I wonder, wonder what to say here. Uh, ch check me out on Twitter, guys. Ryan on chain. Really simple. No, no underscores, no dashes. And it's follow my TikTok. I made a new TikTok. It's oh, yeah. X Logan Ross. You got to check it out for the top dog coin news. Okay, uh, it's jokes. So keep it light. Have fun. Have a good week and we'll see you on Friday. Peace.